Welcome to Real Estate Coaching Radio, starring award-winning real estate coaches and number one international best-selling authors, Tim and Julie Harris. Real Estate Coaching Radio is the nation's number one daily radio show for realtors who demand authentic real-time coaching. Get ready for fluff-free, unfiltered, full-strength honesty about what's truly working to get you into action, helping others, and making money now in today's real estate market. Now to our hosts, Tim and Julie Harris. Three, two, one, and we're back. Julie, it is the February the 18th, and we have a very fun topic today. Um, we're going to be talking about teams. Now, why are we talking about teams? And I'll tell you why. Mm-hmm. Because I have read several places and have heard many people say, I even heard Brad Inman say this, matter of fact, Tim and Julie are anti-team. That is not true. Nope. We're, We're here not. to dispel that today and probably tomorrow. Yeah, well, we do this pretty much same topic about every six months because our competitors try to essentially yeah, just pig- like to bubble it up. Right. They they try to pigeonhole us as a caveman and cave woman who are just mm-hmm. trying to carve out real estate from you know caves. Yeah. No, it's right. just called experience. Exactly. No, we're not anti-team. How can you be anti-team? And the word team is you know replaceable with uh, staff, business, scaling, all kinds of different things. But what we are anti, and just to be clear about this. And uh, Julie, if mm-hmm. I don't uh, make this point with enough um, clarity, then okay. please make sure you... I can't uh, imagine that's going to happen, but right. we'll see. We, we are anti-unprofitable teams. Yes. And so our stance on teams, and when Julie and I sold real estate, we had a team. We had seven buyer's agents. We had someone went on listing appointments. We did all the things. This was back in the 90s that you guys all think is new nowadays, like somehow somebody six months ago thought of these great, brilliant business plans. These ideas have been around forever. And, and so what we did back when we sold real estate is we learned quickly that running a team means you basically run your net profit down to single digits and you do it pretty much instantaneously. And we're going to be talking about that on today's podcast, because if you guys want to pursue building a team, if that's really what you think your mission in real estate is going to be, then you better be doing it with eyes open so you can realize that what you're giving up for your, you know, a lot of you rationalize that you're going to form a team for the sake of getting your time back. That's the original reason why the whole team concept was created back in the 90s. It was mostly agents that were in their 40s and 50s and 60s. You know, at Howard Brinton and back in the 90s is when the team concept was really evolved. Diana Kokoska, who you might know from KW Maps, she was integral in, in creating the original team model. And then Gary Keller, and he says this, basically took all the ideas that came from the Howard Britton group. And they um, then, and Julie and I were Howard Britton stars. We were right there in those meetings as well. And Howard Britton then, I'm sorry, and Gary then took some of the key people from Howard Britton's people, or from Howard Britton's group, and the uh, essentially the overall team model that was created within Howard Britton. Howard Britton was in his day probably the most respected real estate uh, influencer, to use a modern term. Um, you know, I think that's definitely probably for sure. true, for at least the United States. Yeah. So in any event, that's where the red book came from. That's where all the KW team models uh, concepts came from. That's where maps came from. All this stuff came from uh, the Howard Britton um, masterminds that happened back in the 90s. And I don't, again, I don't know if all of you guys know this. And this was before there was paid lead generation. All this stuff, all these business models that you guys are emulating now were um, essentially predicated on completely different economic times. Commissions were higher, by the way. <laughs> you know, 7% commissions weren't unheard of. 7%- yeah, and your cost of transaction was far lower too. Far lower, mm-hmm. exactly. And so when you look at these team models and, and what they've evolved into is they've un, they've evolved mostly into very in, uh, unprofitable uh, businesses, But in, and that's fine. If you want to run a business where you're going to uh, you know, 
cramp through a bunch of transactions in dollar volume and have single digit margins uh, that could be, you know, gone away with as soon as there's, oh, I don't know, say a pandemic or a slow economy or rising interest rates, all those types of, um, you know, I threat think, vectors. right, threat vectors. Thank you, Elon Musk, for that term. Um, then, yeah, proceed and proceed with caution. But otherwise, what we want you to do, and the point of this podcast is to let you know, of course, we uh, believe in building your business. Of course, we believe in adding staff. Call them a team if you'd like. But we want you to do it with profit as your primary motive, because if your profit is not your primary motive, you will have no profit, because you will spend all your profit on all the things that so many of you are spending all of your money on, paid lead generation, building your culture, doing all this other stuff. So as we go through these points today, I want you to at least take these into consideration. And if you have a team and it's dysfunctional, it's not making any profit, um, then maybe this is your opportunity to pivot. If you're thinking about forming a team and you still want to scale up your business after you listen to Julian Ice Points, well, that's great. Just maybe take a different uh, direction so that you don't end up at the end of this rainbow realizing that there was no pot of gold. Did I say that succinctly enough? Very, very well said. Thank you. Very accurate, too. Proceed. So we're going to probably do a two-part series. We're first going to talk about why teams actually fail. We don't want to come off too negative here, but we are going to be factual. And then we're going to talk about something more positive, how teams succeed. So here's a fact. No one plans to fail, but many fail to plan. Whether you're on a team or running a team, check yourself on the top reasons that teams actually fail. Okay, another fact. Successful teams lead with lead generation, know that their product is profit, and are made of rowers, not riders. What do you mean by rowers, not riders? That is a whole bunch of Tim and Julie stuff thrown together in one sentence, Mrs. Harris. That's very good. (laughs) All right, so rowers versus versus riders. And and again, this is a fallacy of many businesses, by the way. If you have, imagine a boat, and if you have a bunch of people in your boat, and only maybe three or four, like you have 10 people in your boat, but only three or four are actually rowing, and the rest are riding, then you're going to have essentially a problem. Uh, and that in when you're building a sales team everybody has to actually uh, contribute to the sales not just basically in support of the sales that would be the rowing part that would be the rowing part and i know some of you are in conflict with that because you're going to say well i need transaction coordinators and i need all of that how can i possibly expect them uh, to be contributing to the actual profit in other words they too are going to generate revenue from non-sales activities where we're going to tell you so make sure you take notes the bottom line is if you want to build a sales team that's going to essentially withstand any sort of economic headwinds, shifts in the sand that happen all too frequently nowadays, it seems, you need to make sure everybody who's in your boat is rowing, not just there for the ride. Exactly. So why teams fail? Point number one, no lead generation, poor lead generation, inconsistent or unpredictable lead generation. Nothing happens without leads. A team is not viable without consistent listing inventory. Magic number. How many listings must you have at all times to meet or achieve your income goals? And I think the most dysfunctional teams don't even have that concept that they're driving it by listings. So here was is the bottom line with point number one. If all of your lead generation, um, we didn't have that. If all your lead generation is basic, if you're not actually doing proactive lead generation and you're doing your lead generation around buying leads, then you're going to go broke. And here's really, I want you to think about this. If you're buying all of your leads, and this is the way that many 
many teams and many brokerages are formed nowadays. They buy their leads from Zillow. I know. They buy their leads from all these different sources. They're paying referral fees on everything. You're never going to have a profit if you're basically shoveling the money out the door um, to generate the lead in the first place. The most efficient teams are the teams where, again, everybody in the uh, boat is rowing. That means the people on the team actually have to be doing lead generation. But here's a little interesting paradigm that many of you are experiencing. These, the agents that want to be buyer agents for you do not want to lead generate. Otherwise, they won't want to be buyer agents for you. And their expectation is, is that you're going to provide them leads. So that, i got to close this, Julie. It's going to be too loud. Yeah. Well, I mean, in fact, if the if the, your potential buyer agents knew how to generate on their own, they wouldn't be your buyer's agents. Well, but that's not necessarily true because we have Maybe they we've, just don't want we've, to. we've coached people on Chris Heller's team, for example, that's in San true. Diego. We've coached a lot of his top uh, salespeople and those top salespeople would prospect every single day. And Chris would also enhance with yeah. lead generation. I understand. So, so the reality of it is, is that they can do both, but the expectation from the agent community is that you join a team so you can get leads. Exactly. And the and the challenge is, and then we, I've had these conversations, and so have you, billions of times, where these agents, um, you know, wide-eyed and full of ambition and hope, will join a team expecting to get a bunch of leads, and they get a bunch of leads, and then after they're in the team, then they learn the harsh reality that internet leads, for the most part, are the crappiest leads you can possibly ever chase, and and there's like 3% or 4% conversion rate on most internet leads after 18 months. Now, I want you to think about that. You join a team, you get a bunch of internet leads, they're telling you to drip on them, they're telling you to do all this other stuff. And then there's statistically, there's an incredibly low probability that within 18 months, any of those leads will actually convert into a sale. But it doesn't necessarily mean they're going to convert into a sale for you. Again, this goes back to the crappy quality of internet leads. Internet leads are not just going to be in your particular funnel. They're going to be in numerous people's funnel. And what makes you think they're not just ultimately going to walk into a FISBO open house or a new build construction and buy a house from them. So the whole idea that you guys are thinking that as you're building businesses, you need to provide leads for your agents, that is literally, it's critical, it's necessary, but it's also the first big mistake because there's no end to how much complaining they're going to pile on you about how bad the leads are because you've never taught them how to fish. You've set the situation up so you have a boat full of riders, not rowers. Point number two, Mrs. Harris? Point number two, the team leader doesn't personally have the skills, systems, or scripts mastered, which they are attempting to delegate to team members. This this is actually, you know, such a big problem. It's like, you know, you're six months licensed, now you're going to build your team. Well, you don't really have a competitive listing presentation. You don't really know how to handle objections. You don't really know how to uh, generate leads proactively. And so you're just going to hire some people and expect them to do it for you. How can you hold somebody accountable to something you haven't mastered? You know, it, it even is worse. It's it's worse than that, too, because what I see a lot is agents who've never learned how to actually prospect themselves. Yes. Think they're going to delegate to VAs or team members. Oh, I love the VA thing. I know. Oh, yeah, I'm just going to hire a VA. I know. You know, they're exactly. going to do it for me. Uh-huh. Right. Yeah. And they're going to prospect somehow the FISBOs and expireds that these agents who are too busy to have learned to do it themselves, yeah. they're somehow going to delegate the actual real work of real estate and they're going to somehow build this mythical, magical team that's you know able to actually pick up the phone and do the real work. I know, and, and then they get work. pissed at the VA and they say you're just not making enough contacts. 
that's not real coaching, right? That's not talking about scripts. That's not, I mean, to expect a VA someplace to even understand what you're trying to do and then get mad when they don't convert. But VA aside too, Julie, it's also the buyer's agents that they're looking to hire and thinking that they can hire people to actually prospect for them. It's, you know, it takes a lot of skill to learn how to prospect. It takes a lot of time and dedication. And the challenge is, and again, I've seen this in many, many teams and brokerages. If you're trying to create an environment where people are going to proactively lead generate, but at the same time, you're giving them leads because you're, you know, you're, you're suckling from the lead funnels that I was going to say the Zillow something or another, but I'm not going to say it. But if you're actually (laughs) doing that, then what, what, motivation are you going to give to your team members to actually go out there and lead generate themselves? None. None. (laughs) Okay. Point number three, the team leader is not just delegating, but obfuscating, not following through, actually confusing things instead of clarifying. Sometimes I call that uh, seagull management, you know, like the team leader flies over and poops out some tasks and expects everybody to be able to handle it. So what do you mean by obfuscate versus delegate? Because everybody thinks, you know, I'll just delegate it and then I can do some other stuff. Well, it comes down to something that actually Ronald Reagan is credited for saying, but I don't think he actually said it, which is Mm -hmm. trust. uh, I think actually. um, Trust but verify. Yeah, trust but verify. Actually, I did research on that Uh because I was writing something and Mm -hmm. um, I was wanting to make sure I was crediting Ronald Reagan. Now, Ronald Reagan said it, Mm -hmm. but the person that there's actually several people that said it prior to Ronald Reagan in history. Yeah. But trust but verify, that's delegate. Obfuscating is where basically you uh, give the task over and you don't follow through to make sure it's being done. There is no, uh, every single manager, either through systems or directly, has to hold uh, their subordinates accountable. They have to hold their team members accountable. Whatever words you want to use for people that work for you, you have to hold them accountable. You can hold them accountable through dashboards. You can hold them accountable through, you know, a dashboard that has KPIs. You can hold them accountable towards some sort of, you know, maybe it's some kind of shared job, you know, board or something, a Trello board or something, you know, an app, but you ultimately have to let them know that you are monitoring, that they are getting things done. Otherwise they won't get things done. They're just, as soon as they figure that out, now they're gaming you, right? Because they figure you're not going to follow up. So they're just going to wait that out. And then when you try and hold them accountable, they're going to say your leads suck or your system sucks. It's always going to be your fault. But they're, once they figure that out, you're toast. One in maybe 100 people you're going to hire is actually going to be um, a true... Um, like self-accountable. Really, a yeah. self-accountable rock star. It's incredibly rare. But you have to build your systems with the idea that everybody is going to be held accountable for everything. And don't get stuck on things like, oh, you're a micromanager. Any, sort, any successful anybody in life has to micromanage. Now, where you get confused, again, just to belabor this point, is if you're the one personally that's actually having to go and constantly, you know, micromanage every single aspect of your business, that is asinine because you're never going to move the needle. You're never going to move the ball down the field into the end zone. And you as a leader, that is your job running your team or your business. But you can put systems in place that micromanage. And there's nothing wrong with micromanaging. People, even like high performance people, the myth is that high performance people don't want to be held accountable. High performance people want to be held accountable by people that they frankly respect. High performance people want to be held accountable by people, by leaders that they know are going to actually help them move them down the field for their personal financial and business goals. Um, So again, 
the problem ultimately is if you don't know how to do the task at the highest level that you're delegating, you're never going to know how to hold somebody accountable. And there's this really bad habit that real estate's got now where they take, you know, some agent comes in, they're successful, maybe after 12 months or 24 months, they're, you know, given pressure to, okay, now it's time for you to start adding staff. It's time for you to build a team. And then these agents who don't have any prior business experience, who don't necessarily have their heads screwed on straight about the fact that profit is their product or yeah, profit is their product. Mm -hmm. They then just follow blindly down this team building path, all the while not realizing what they're doing is they're giving, they're actually not getting back any time, but what they're really giving up is they're giving up lots and lots of profit. So they originally got into the business with the vision of basically taking care of themselves and their families financially and, you know, all kinds of other visions of themselves. They get into real estate, they work their butts off, they, they're successful, they're selling houses, they're making money, they're making a net profit. And the next thing you know, they fall into this spider web of nonprofit business activities that will take them way, you know, years away from their mission. And then they've lost decades. And I see, and Julie sees that happen all the time with agents who get into the industry, um, you know, with their, their own ambitions, their own plans, their own goals. Maybe, you know, they're just in the formulation stages of thinking about what their actual plans and goals are going to be. And then the industry manipulates them through their ego and takes over basically their, um, you know, their potentiality. And I, I mean, I don't know how else to say it than that, but that is what happens no, routinely. it is. It's very confusing. And especially if you don't have a lot of business maturity or background or skill, I mean, it doesn't take long to run a business into the ground. So point number four, I think we covered with number three, there's very little accountability, if any. Number five, the team is more focused on culture, education, events, drama, and anything but profit. Profitability isn't discussed as a regular part of business planning. Okay, so let's drill down on that. Julie and I will get um, like, uh, so we have a whole bunch of coaches and we have a relatively large coaching organization. We attract agents that are new agents, middling agents, top producing agents, teams, the whole thing. And one of the first thing we do with anybody that has staff is we ask them to send us a profit and loss statement. And usually what you get is a one page profit and loss statement that just shows the very top line numbers. Mm -hmm. In other words, they don't really know how to make a profit and loss statement that drills down on those specific numbers. So one of the things that we do when we have somebody with a you know buyer agent staff primarily is we'll ask them to take their gross revenue divided by, you know, take out the the transactional income that came from the listing side versus the buyer agent side. And then we just focus on the buyer agent side and that's where things usually get go awry and they don't realize it. And I'll tell you the punchline. In every single case, with the exception of maybe two or three in the last 20 years that you and Julie and I have analyzed like this, the listing side of the business has subsidized the buyer agent side of the business. Yes, sadly. Yeah. So in other words, if it weren't for the, you know, the listing side of the business, the, the profit that should have been coming to the team leader or the team owner, the rainmaker, whatever your self-proclaimed title is, CEO, that profit is actually being peeled away to subsidize the buyer agent side of the business. And why do you do that? For the sake of basically doing transactions. More units. It, more right. units. And because that's what you get to brag about. So when you take a buyer agent side of the business and you analyze it and you figure out not just what you have to do a profit and loss statement on each individual buyer agent. And you will quickly find if you have 10 buyer agents, there's nine of them that are completely unprofitable to you. You're spending money to generate leads. You're spending money to support their transactions. And you're not, this isn't even accounting for your time. This isn't even accounting for the time that you're having to basically coach them, train them, talk them off the fence, encourage them to actually do their job in the first place. 
This is the paradox that most of you who have teams are going to be caught in. And then the one, remember I said nine out of 10 basically are going to be riders, not rowers. Well, the one that's a rower isn't going to want to stick around your boat because he or she is going to see that you've basically built your team around riders and they want to be in a boat with rowers. So they out, they go out and do their own team or they just go independent and you know basically what have you, they leave. So your, your talent doesn't stick around because the nature of how these teams actually work with regards to you know true accountability and profitability. But where the rubber meets the road, I'll, I had this very interesting, most recent conversation with somebody. The guy did like 160 million and again, saw the profit and loss statement, never did a drill down on the buyer agent size, never did a profit and loss on each buyer agent, never realized all that. And so I don't remember the exact way the math worked out, mm-hmm. but I told you about this one, Julie. Yep. Let's, I'll just make the numbers up, listeners. So let's say the number was a million dollars in GCI. It was way more than that, but let's just say it was a million. Um, and then what happened was, is that essentially, you know, 500,000 came from list sides, 500,000 came from buyer sides. And so the list side of the business was where all his supposed profit was going to come from. And he was still going on probably 50 to 60% of his listing appointments. So I did the math just on the listing sides. And I took out the uh, cost per transaction, which would come from the, you know, every, every listing cost like $500 between pictures and pounding signs and flyers and brochures and all that. So I took out the, the, you know, the hard costs and the blended costs from the listing side of his business. Um, and then I did the math and it turned out that his 500,000, which should have effectively been about 400,000 in profit from the list side, he personally only made 150 grand. So his entire business making a million dollars in commission, he was only making $150,000. And that means that he was subsidizing from his prim- primarily his listing efforts to the sum of 300 plus thousand dollars just to keep the business afloat. And most of the expense was keeping the buyer side business afloat. And I showed him that if he were to get rid of the, now this isn't what we ended up doing with him, but I'm just telling you, if he were to completely get rid of the buyer side of the business, like completely make all these buyer agents independent, and he's going to start giving him buyer referrals at a 25 or 35% referral fee. That's it. He gets a buyer lead. He's going to stop buying the buyer leads. If he gets buyer leads in from his signs or just natural organic lead generation off of his listings, he was just going to refer those out to buyer to you know agents at 25 or 35 percent. And the system that he did eventually put in place was that he was you know him and somebody else were calling all the leads back, calling, and they were basically peeling out the sellers that were you know showing up as buyers, right? And if they were just straight up buyers, he would refer those out to independent agents for a 35 percent referral fee. He was keeping those with sellers, you know, with the on the seller side of the business, and he was getting the listing. And his profit went through the roof because he got rid of all the hard costs. Just on the 35% because yes. that was higher than what his net oh, was yeah. without he, it. Well, he was losing money. He was losing money. Yeah. Thank you. He was with losing him. money on the buyer side transactions. So we went from losing money on the buyer side transactions to now he's making a 35% yes. profit. And we're going to talk about that with the successful team model, which you just greatly described. Because having those referral agents versus, you know, dedicated buyer agents to your team are not just more profitable, but they're also interchangeable. You can have different ones for different situations. And if they don't follow through, you can get rid of them a lot easier. Well, we did this and we sold real estate, yeah, right? Yeah, so much better. I mean, when we started out, you and I were 100% proactive lead generation. Yep. And we did have buyer sides, but we did mostly listings. Mm-hmm. And then we got sucked into the Howard Britton vortex and believing yeah. we had to build a team. Mm-hmm. And you know, everyone was like, you guys sold 100 houses your first year. You could sell 500 houses. You have to add 14 buyer's agents. Oh, and Julie and I were I dumb. So we said, okay. Okay. <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah, we did we didn't it. Know any better? We did it, and I'll never forget. It was our fourth <laughs> year, maybe our third year in the business. Our accountant Fred came comes into the house. I remember, and he has our tax. I remember it was depressing. Totally depressing. He, he has our tax returns for the previous three or four years, and like the year that he was he was coming over to have us sign the returns for. Um, it was this year that we made all this money because we had this big team, all these awards and plaques and all this other stuff. I mean, we, you guys have any level of success. You get so many tr- participation trophies in real estate. It's insane, right? Well, imagine the ones that we got since our first year we sold over 100 houses and we were in our early 20s. It was too much. Too much attention, too many participation yep. trophies. And so we were very susceptible. Our egos were very susceptible to wanting more of that attention. We wanted the recognition. So when these uh, people that were twice our age at this Howard Britton group were telling us to form a team, of course we did it. We figured that they knew more than us. But what we didn't ask as we were taking their advice is what's the profit margin on these big schemes, these big teams? We never actually asked those questions. We did eventually ask the questions basically two or three years later after we started forming the team. I know, like I can remember probably the event where it occurred to us. We got thrown out of the event practically. it was like, why are you? Why do you keep asking about? It's not what you make; it's what you keep. Why do you keep asking these financial questions? Because well, that light bulb had gone off. So, since you just opened up that can um, of whoop ass that we had, let's yeah. just talk about it. Yeah, we are at a Howard Britton Mastermind. I don't remember where it was. I do know it was at a Ritz Carlton because he always did it at a Ritz Carlton. Yep. And we we're sitting at this big, you know, round table, big oval table mm-hmm. with all these Howard Britton stars. At the time, there were maybe forty or fifty Howard Britton stars, something mm-hmm. like that. Maybe there were thirty in this room. Mm-hmm. And I remember the whole conversation was about team building. The whole conversation was about adding staff. The whole conversation was about cross-training your staff. So your buyer agent can go on listing appointments and your listing agent can close transactions and all that. And I remember you and I sitting back and, and asking the stars that were around us, why the hell would you do any of that? Because A, you're, no one's going to have a clear mission as to mm-hmm. what their, your responsibility is. Yeah. But B, you're just training all your, uh, you're training your competition. It doesn't right. make any sense. Mm-hmm. It just is asinine. Nobody wanted to talk about that, though. And Howard was the most jovial, sweetheart, nicest man. Like you see, Howard, you, you, you it could be 10 miles away. You're going to want to wrap to him and hug him. Okay. So I raised my hand after some goading of some of the stars around me. And I raised the hand and I said, you know, Howard, what about these simple business facts that if you basically are cross-training, you're just going to create your staff a competition and you're going to do all the... And he got so pissed at me. I've never seen him get mad at anyone before. He told us we are against Howard Britton culture and this is not how he trains. And well, Howard was selling uh, uh, training courses and programs that were predicated based on what? Team Agents building. wanting to build teams, wanting to cross-train. And he would sell their staff into these university classes that he would call, I think he called them universities, mm-hmm. that were $5,000. So he had gotten that whole room of people and you know all the Howard stars that came after that to pay him $5,000 to train, oh, 5000 to train your agent to be a listing agent, 5000 to train your agents to be buyer's agents. And I'm not saying the training was bad. It wasn't. It was great. Howard was a very ethical man, you know. And all, Good training. Sure. Yeah, it was great. But the point of it was, it was not predicated on the idea of making a profit. And this was the fallacy of these team models. And Julie shortly and I shortly thereafter stopped going to the Howard Britton events because we realized that the mission, and this was back in the 90s, the mission that was set in place to these teams was not in alignment with what our goal was. Our personal goal was to be rich. Rich was where your money worked for you and you no longer worked for your money. And the other real hard to accept epiphany was as all these people, many of them, be, and still are, 
Like I got a a message from um, Marsha Sells last night. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah Remember her? her. Yeah, yeah. She's a sweetheart. Mm-hmm. So all these Howard Brenton stars, a lot of them, you know, when they were probably our age when we met them originally twenty five years ago, and now some of them are in their sixties and seventies, which is amazing to think about. But when uh, we were pull some of them aside and we tell them what our ambitions were to be, you know, have enough passive income coming from investments. The investments were purchased with a profit from selling real estate. And we'd have these conversations with them. Ninety nine percent of them had no interest in that type of, of, of thought at all. They were cash flow uh, types. They were thinking about selling houses, generating revenue and basically paying for what generally speaking were very lavish lifestyles off the transactional income. Julie and I wanted to learn how to live off passive income. And again, this was one of those epiphanies. It was We were in our formidable years, in our 20s, and the hard lesson was not everybody wants to be rich. Most people want to be famous. And that's where the original you know, epiphany for Julie and I, sorry for overusing that word, if you have to choose between being famous and being rich, which do you choose? And I know from personal life experience, as does my beautiful wife, that 99% of everyone's going to choose to be famous. Thoughts? Yeah, well, I mean, of course, and especially in the beginning when you get a lot of attention, it's easy to fall into that trap. And then you start cranking out tons and tons of deals and and you have days where you feel like real estate chewed you up and spit you out. And now you really need attention because you're feeling a little bit abused, right. right? One thing leads to the next. And then, you know, your your example with your, I think you said 160 million-ish uh, volume producer, you know, do you think that he could have net about the same doing maybe 30% of the number of units. Well, How does all, that shake out? That's where the conversation always goes when I'm talking to these yeah. guys. Is that you do the, you do the like, I and it was 143, I actually okay. just remembered. It wasn't 160, I said it wrong. Well, it was still, it's a big number. It's a big number, right? Yeah, he's successful. Sure. But all of his, he, his Zillow, he's buying leads from I Zillow. Figured. His Zillow bill is extraordinary. Yeah. The amount of, you know, his profit uh, is horrible. It yeah. is terrible. And so your real question is, and his, his obviously his commission wasn't uh, a million. It was more than that. Mm-hmm. But his, his uh, actual personal return on that was something like six or seven percent. Yes. And so if to answer Julie's so question. So that's a math problem. Right. But let's, let's use the million dollars as an example. If you have a team that makes a million dollars and your actual net profit is 10%, you're going to make how much? 100,000. That's right. And so if you have a biz, a real estate practice that where your total GCI is $150,000, you're going to have the same net profit. Yeah. I mean, I don't know if you guys understand what I just said. And actually a lot it's less the stress. Truth. Less stress. Hell yeah. Just and just, but this goes back, Julie, to the real estate magic number. Yes. And this, so I'm, you know, I mean, it's so funny as Julie and I ramble through all this in 30 well, minutes. I, I warned you it would be more than one part show. Well, I hope you guys are understanding <laughs> yeah. what, our, what we're saying. If your goal is to make profit, yeah. then focus on being a listing agent and don't get sucked into this vortex that was largely created by Zillow. And it was largely created by all this team building Mickey Mouse and all this branding stuff. Because remember I said, Jules and I got sucked into the uh, recognition ego vortex for a few years when we were selling real estate. But what happens nowadays is you guys are getting your licenses and there is no reprieve. You are jumped, you jump right into the, you know, the blender of the ego thing. That's where all this influencer social networking uh, Mickey Mouse, that's the reason it's so insidious because it takes all the vacuum, all the air out of the room mm-hmm. before you even have the opportunity to learn the right way to form a business. Primarily, all your efforts should be focused on the real estate magic number, and that's uh, the output of doing the real estate treasure map, and we want to give that to you. Text 2021 to 855 685 1045. Simply text 2021 to 855 685 1045. And when you do, we're going to text you back a link where you can download the real estate treasure map and six other books. I'll give you guys the bottom line. 
your whole entire life is predicated on one number. And that one number is the number of listings that you need at all times to meet or exceed your financial goals. Do the treasure map. Read our book, Harris Rules. You will have an unbelievable amount of clarity in your real estate, uh, your business. And then you're going to find that most of the other stresses that come from the lack of clarity in your business, I, uh, you know, aka the lack of cash flow in your business, your personal life turmoil that comes from lack of cash flow, all of that will magically almost go away when you have the clarity of thought and purpose on focusing on your magic number. Absolutely. So get to work, get it. You know, Tim just told you how to get your, your uh, treasure map for free. That really clarifies a lot of the things that we're going through here. So I think to summarize, you know, the early teams were more profitable because the leads that were being given to the buyer's agents were really pure, meaning you, they weren't bought. They were open house leads, and, repeat referrals. And the agents were having to prospect. And the agents prospected right. on their own. You know, it was a nice little tight system with very little expenditure as long as you had listings. And there right? were no VAs. Back there when, were no VAs. Right. There, was, there weren't even transaction coordinators to pay. Well, okay. but you, so back, back when the plan was formed, there were transaction coordinators, but there were no like overseas VAs. No. This was all in the form of leaders. You weren't so, offshoring. So the model you guys are following that's based on Gary Keller's original book, that is all based on things that do not exist anymore. Because nowadays what you guys are doing is you're adding VAs, you're adding paid lead generation, you're adding you know leads management systems, you're adding expensive CRMs, you're adding all this expensive social- You're buying social, your team. You're buying your, you're, bu you're buying your business and you're trying to make yourself look like an influencer because someone told you and you believed that you have to have this facade of success before you actually have earned your own success. Yes. Now, here's another interesting thing that I've seen. I know you need to get to a call. I do. Okay. So when I study this with the bigger teams that are paying for leads, the other interesting thing is if you, because the buyer's agents are not prospecting for their own stuff, right? right the leads that actually close are most often leads that the team leader would have done anyway, because they are, uh, higher quality. They're, centers they're, of influence and past, client. past clients, because those are easy. And they've already been pre-qualified. They already trust you. You're not competing or anything. And those are the those are what we call the low-hanging fruit. Those are the easy deals, right? So even though they're supposed to be cranking through all of this online lead generation and hoping for that two to three percent to work out, the deals that actually close are the ones that the team leader probably could have easily done on their own. And why does the team leader do that? Because they think that their mission in life is to form this big team and they have to feed all these pissed off hang, uh, angry birds. Angry birds. Feed know. me, feed me. Yes, exactly. Leads. And so they give away what would have been otherwise their whole profit just to maintain this facade of success and having a real estate business, a real estate team. And what are they doing? They're pissing away all their potentiality, all their profit, all their ability to create passive income. And at what cost? That's time you could have been very well spending with your friends and your family, your church, other things, other pursuits, yep. other interests. You wonder why you get burned out in real estate. It's because you're chasing the wrong rabbit. It is. It cannot be any more obvious um, once you guys, you know, essentially deep dive into what we're saying. Do you notice how simple, practical, and tactical what Julie and I say is? How there's no bullshit in what Julie and I say? Painfully simple. Why is it that you guys want to complicate it? Why is it that you're attracted to people that want to complicate it? What is their motivation between uh, behind trying to convince you that being successful in real estate is complicated? Have you ever put all these thoughts together? It's simply for the fact that they can then convince you that it's complicated, that you need to hire them to decipher the hieroglyphs of success and that you need to buy their expensive system. That's what they're doing. They're being there's you're buying something and they're they're essentially placating or playing into your uh, fear of essentially the unknown. And 
It's not necessary. None of it's necessary. Real estate is the most beautiful, simplistic, elegant business if provided you want it to be that way and allow it to be that way. It's about, all about being of service to people. It's all about being in alignment with your highest and truest purpose on this planet, which is being of service to people. And then you backfill with real skills and you primarily focus on being a listing agent. That is the truth. So get the treasure map for free instead of buying all this other crap that pollutes your brains. <gasps> Julie well, said I a bad know. word. You owe Zoe. I know. You owe Zoe a dollar. <laughs> all right. Get to work. In, guys. in the meantime, guys, hopefully you appreciate this. We're going to pick up where we left off uh, today, tomorrow, talking about real estate teams. Have a fantastic day. We'll talk to you on the show tomorrow. This program has been a presentation by Tim and Julie Harris Real Estate Coaching. For more information on our real estate coaching and training programs visit our website at timandjulieharris.com. Remember to tune in weekdays at noon for upcoming shows. And until next time, thank you for listening to Real Estate Coaching Radio with Tim and Julie Harris.